Welcome everyone. I'm Solyndran Buller, your host of Uplifting Humans. Our guest today is Karen Edwards Fu, a bioenergetic synchronization technique practitioner and owner of Center for Health Alliance in Fresno, California. She holds a master's degree in marriage and family counseling. Mother to a 23-year-old, Karen is here to share her journey in and out of a relationship. Welcome, Karen. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you, Solyndran, for including me in this process. Oh, well, we're, we're just so delighted that you accepted our invitation. Uh, I was uh, so looking forward to this conversation all weekend. So share with our audience, Karen, about your background and the lessons that you've learned. Okay, where to begin? Well, first of all, I am 64, and I was um, 41 when I had my daughter. I guess we'll start there. And um, she was absolutely just a miracle. I was never able to get pregnant, but I um, underwent some treatment that enabled me to conceive a child. And that was really exciting. Mm. And, and the, the method that I used was um, bioenergetic synchronization technique. And um, I loved experiencing experiencing the process so much that I really wanted to learn how to do it. And so several years later, I did um, become certified in, in, and um, utilize that practice in my, in my business today. So in and out of relationship. Yes. I was married uh, for a number of years. And like many people, you kind of outgrow um, situations and so though it was very difficult, um, I ended up deciding to split from my husband. And uh, I think my daughter was about seven at the time. Mm -hmm. And though it wasn't something that he really wanted to, to do, we were mature enough to be able to come together and do everything we had to do to support her her situation. You know, we wanted to keep her life as normal as possible and both still be involved and keep any issues we may have together away from the situation. And so how old would she have been at the time, Karen? She was about seven. About seven. Now, yeah. with your background as a marriage and family counselor, do you feel or find that um, it makes a difference, you know, at seven? Uh, would it have been better if it was later? Like, explain that part of it. I'm sure you have those questions going through your head as well, even though, you know, you weren't in the most comfortable position. And, you know, obviously you want to create an environment of harmony and peace within the household. Um, I would say earlier is more ideal than later. And, um, you know, every situation is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. The child's temperament and their particular relationship with each parent is a factor to consider. Um, funny story about her um, in the situation, she set both of us down one day and after, after we told her that, you know, we were gonna live separately and she just started firing questions 
at both of us. She sat down on this little secretary chair and she had a pad and a pen. And she says, okay, mom, why do you want to get divorced? And then she asked me these questions and then she just cut me off and went over to dad. All right, dad, why do you want to um, get a divorce? And after she had had enough, she sort of got up and she ran to the other room and she says, you guys are ruining my life. Oh, wow. And, and it was very painful to, mm. to put her in that position. Mm. But um, that was an issue that we um, were able to deal with. And eventually um, she worked through those issues, but it did, it does change everybody's life, no matter what age, um, how agreeable you might be. It, it is a change and people have to learn how to adapt. So, so in your eyes, it was, was you're weighing what in your mind when you're making that decision, you're, you're probably obviously weighing in the fact, okay, how is this affecting our environment on a day-to-day -day basis? You're probably thinking of all sorts of things. Can you maybe walk us through some of those struggles that you, you would have had before you made the big decision? Well, first of all, I mean, I'm a product of a divorced family. My parents divorced when I was 18 months old. And not only did they divorce, but it was a very high conflict situation. Mm -hmm. And it was very frightening to me as a child. So I never wanted to go there with my own family. I tried to avoid it like the plague as long as I could. But, you know, sooner or later, you have to come to the realization that you deserve to have a life too. Yes. And um, what I found myself doing was making sure everybody else was happy, you know, being overly responsible for everybody, mm -hmm. but myself. And I forgot about myself. I lost myself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was kind of like a life or death situation. I had, I had to choose me for the first time in my life. And, you mm -hmm. know, in my situation, I was fortunate that my husband was um, also in the helping profession. And, you know, we just sat down and said, Hey, you know, I'm not happy. He's not happy. What can we do about this? Yes. The other thing about my background that's probably important to know is that um, I worked as a family law paralegal for a number of years. Yes. So I, I've done more divorces than I can count at this <laughs> stage of the game. I did that for a number of years before I became a marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. And so um, not only was I a family law paralegal, but I did my part of my internship toward my hours as a licensed um, therapist as a child custody evaluator. And cool. so I've seen it all. <laughs> and um, coming from my own personal background, Mm -hmm. I was really sensitive and I made it a point to work with parents that I saw um, during my days as an evaluator to kind of enlighten them to, you know, this isn't about you. This is about your kids. Right. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who go through that process that don't have the maturity and are so uh, fearful of life and feeling like everybody's out to get them, that they're not able to set aside their own needs mm -hmm. for the greater good for the whole family situation. 
The other thing that happens in that dynamic is all the kids are treated the same. It's like there's a one size fit all. And quite honestly, mm-hmm. a child's temperament, their connection, their age sometimes dictates a different arrangement with each parent. And that doesn't happen in this day and age most of the time. And so um, it's so I, I, when I worked as a therapist, I found myself working with parents and children who have been through divorce you know, a lot of the time mm-hmm. and helping um, families where one parent was trying to alienate the kids against the other one. And how do you handle that? And, you know, it's a very That's complex a process. Mm-hmm. 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 Now you, you had said earlier that it's easier when the child is younger. Um, why, why do you feel that it's, or, or why do you know that it's e- easier if they're younger? Because your daughter, to me, in my eyes, she's seven. That's awfully young, you know. Yeah. But you're thinking that it, sh- it, it would, it might have been, you know, better if it was even if she was younger. Well, in my, in my, in my opinion, I think she was kind of like approaching the the outer edge where it's, it's okay. Because at this stage of the game, developmentally, they haven't, they don't really know, um, they don't have allegiances like you do when you get into the, or the preteen area. Right. And when you get into that area, you know, you kind of know it all and you know, this is right and this is wrong before you really have enough knowledge to be able to make those conclusions. Mm-hmm. And so they're still you know, relying on the parents at that age to make some decisions and choices and to guide and direct them. Mm-hmm. And they're still learning a lot of those things. And so it's just a personal. Personal take you know, on it. Okay. Based on, you know, my experience working with kids when they get into their teens or mm-hmm. adult children, adult children have a horrible time whenever their parents is, you know, they end up feeling like, Oh my God, my whole life is a lie. You know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just every age has an impact, but the fallout, you know, that the child needs to deal with is different at each stage, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about the blame game? Do you feel that they blame themselves more so as they get older? Oh, there's a whole body of research that talks about, in fact, there's a great book, um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but what's really nice about this book is it goes by every single developmental age, what, how it affects, you know, this age group, what kind of conclusions they draw Mm -hmm. and and how you can best support um, that, that child in that particular age group. It tells you when to start dating and how to introduce and, you know, it's all about how to avoid further impact on children. Mm. Um, well, that would be a very uh, interesting read, definitely. Now, working with people for so many years, Karen, um, what's a life lesson that has stuck with you all these years? Well, um, I think most people would come in to see me because they wanted to try to make sense out of their life, mm-hmm. wanted to understand themselves better. They're not understanding why their relationship sucks. 
And, you know, why can't they get a job that, you know, that they really want? And so from that perspective, knowing yourself is like the number one thing that we all need to, to figure out. Uh-huh. And, and I think there are ways to go about doing that. But, you know, if you don't know yourself, you're not going to be able to trust yourself very, very much. And you're probably not going to set appropriate boundaries with other people because you want them to like you and you want to please people. You want everybody to be happy. Um, And so self-trust, setting boundaries, knowing yourself, those are the major keys, I think, to moving forward in life um, to be happy and to be satisfied in, in relationship. So, so those, those are the keys to a happy life uh, in your eyes. And I know for myself, I know some, some of what, you know, bioenergetic synchronization technique is, but for our audience that's listening today, Karen, can you explain that a little bit further? Well, toward the end of my therapy career, I, I realized that people have patterns and they get stuck in these patterns. Mm-hmm. And what I love about bioenergetics is it's a, a simple hands-on procedure that um, restores communication between the higher brain centers and the physical body. And also can neutralize negative thought patterns and replace them with a more positive thought pattern. And And so if you have a challenge, um, you can learn about these things um, because a lot of times your your subconscious is what's really running your life. Mm -hmm. Most people are unaware of some of the the control that our subconscious thoughts have on our our activities in life. Mm -hmm. And, And so raising a person's awareness to those things and showing them while they're on the table, how a certain thought can lock up their body and make them tense and how, how it feels whenever you let that go, you know, through the process of, of best, uh, which is bioenergetic synchronization technique, we kind of help your body remember how to relax. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it, is it very similar to EFT or, any of the acupuncture, acupressure uh, modalities that are out there? Is it quite similar to that? Well, um, I always teach my clients EFT because people need a take-home tool. It's a self-help, self-soothing tool that when you have emotions that um, are hard to manage, it can help you calm that down and get to more of an objective perspective on things. Best is it's, it's similar, but it's, it's a, a whole different, it's a different ball game. Okay. TFT or EFT, um, those kinds of things, you're doing that on your own. And there is, you know, once you've been treated through the best process, there is what's called the mortar march. And this is something that you can, you can do at home to sort of give yourself a neural emotional upgrade and to sort of um, put you back into a calmer state. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Now, share a decision, Karen, that you um, have made that changed your entire life uh, for the better, but was difficult at the time because, you know, there's so many decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis. And sometimes, you know, we're not in a position to make that choice. Uh, but then all of a sudden, if you have um, enough willpower or enough, you know, understanding, then you step into that change. So share with us something that you have done. For years when I was a... Um psychotherapist, I managed a contract for our local sheriff's department for like 15 years. And that was my main bread and butter. Mm. But toward the end of that time, I just felt this internal urge to shift my gears in some way to do something different. And to sort of be free from that mm. um, responsibility of that. I loved working with the population, but the responsibility was just getting a little overwhelming for me because I felt I needed to make a change in how I do what I do. Mm -hmm. So before I had another source of similar income restored, I chose to not renew my contract and to just have faith that I was following my heart and trust in the process of life that everything will work out. I didn't know how, but I was really um, banking on the fact that this was the right thing for me to do. So again, you asked me earlier, self-trust is so important. Mm -hmm. and, and being able to connect within yourself and, and feel that you're on the right path. And that's yeah, that would have been a tough decision, definitely a tough decision, because even now in so many people's lives, uh, making a decision where here's your bread and butter and you're giving that up mm -hmm. and you're going into the unknown. And the unknown is a very, very um, difficult place to be. And let's face it, we'd all be challenged with fear. Oh, yeah. Well, at that time, after I did that and my lease, my office lease expired, I, I moved my practice to um, a room I had in my house that had an outside entrance. Mm -hmm. and, and so I slowly built up a little bit more um, business there, but I had um, less overhead, of course, and um, found out that I really loved working out of my home and people loved coming there. It was real relaxed and it was really, it was really a nice transition. And so tell us what motivates you, Karen. What keeps you going? I've always been interested in helping other people and I've been really curious about what makes people tick. Mm -hmm. And, um, and which kind of led me in the direction of studying counseling and psychology and things like that. But while working with people in that setting, I felt like I was shooting in the dark a lot of the times. You know, we have people come in with problems and we have all these theories and then there's these standards of practice and this and that and the other. And I found that to be very almost suffocating and restricted. And I figured there had to be some other way that I could help people discover things about themselves 
mm-hmm. and work with them in a way that was more fun for me anyway. And um, I was introduced to a process called blueprint numerology. And so I've recently studied that and that um, modology um, really satisfies my curiosity and it's exciting to be able to show somebody, hey, this is the lesson that you signed up for for this lifetime. gee, that's pretty exciting. You know, what can you do about that? How can you strengthen those challenges that you brought in with you? And and what can you do to express your destiny? Uh This really fits right in with, you know, my, my mission is to educate and empower people to take personal responsibility for their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. So this is awesome. This is definitely something, I mean, if you have a passion and a drive that motivates you, every day of your life and you want to work with people um you're doing awesome awesome work um and and on that note you know there must be something that overwhelms you even today because we're always challenged with something share with us uh what that something in your life would be what overwhelms you even today trying to find balance in life is is always a um, ongoing challenge mm-hmm. because you know once I sink my teeth into something that I really love it's, it's like I don't see anything else it's like I'm just really focused on that and I, I just love it and I want to learn everything about it and I want to tell everybody about it and do something so my biggest challenge right now is to figure out okay how can I package this new exciting material and offer it to other people Um, in the form of a workshop or something that will excite them as much as I feel excited about it. So that's my biggest um, challenge right now is, is um, working on putting those pieces together. Mm -hmm. And I I know for myself in the past, um, um, things that excite me and, you know, I want to share with people. Sometimes it's, you know, I find in my life, um, I'm so overly excited. And then on the receiving end though, they they don't feel the same. Have you, have you ever faced that where it's kind of like, Oh, yes, because uh, I've been down this road before in the past. And what I've learned is that slow down, be patient because they're not at where you're at. They don't see the whole picture yet. And so you've got to help them meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of, when I was originally studying therapy, uh, the practice of it, one of my mentors said, Karen, you need to pick people up at their house first before they, before you take them to this destination that you would like to take them. Mm. So learning to meet people where they're at, respecting, you know, what they're interested in and not cramming these things down their throat is so important. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that, I think it's an art form actually. Yeah, and how how were you able to instill some of what you've learned and what you've applied into your daughter's life? Uh, and I understand she's 23, mm-hmm. and she's an actor. Mm-hmm. And how how have you been able to incorporate some of this into her life? Well, I think what I did as first of all, being a mom is the the thing that I'm most 
I've really wanted to be a mom all my life. And I was really so excited when I conceived her and then gave birth to her. I mean, it was the happiest time of my life. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the main thing that was important to me being a mom was to give her the things that I think the raw materials that she's going to need to grow up and to be able to move through life as an adult contributing to society in some way and to be happy. And so that was my, my overriding focus when I was her mom to begin with. And what, and so t- at what age did you start with that? Birth. Literally. I'm not kidding you. And um, I came upon these wonderful books called Real Love in Parenting. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that book was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that book gives parents, I've recommended it to a lot of people, but it gives you permission to be the parent. Too often, parents want to be their, their, their kids' friends way yeah. too early before you've earned the right to be a friend. And, and, and so by doing that, then you don't do the work of being a parent, which is sometimes very difficult. Yeah. And so, so anyway, so I worked really hard to get her to trust herself. And, um, and actually, she's a, a vibration seven, which is all about self-trust. And I didn't know that when she was growing up, but she would always ask me certain things. And I would say, honey, trust yourself. You have good instincts. And so I just drilled that into her (laughs) and, you know, really worked with her to express her feelings. One of the rules in our family was we tell each other the truth, no matter what, even if you're afraid that you might get in trouble, or even if you're afraid we're not going to like or approve how you feel, you're still entitled to those feelings. And so we, we did really work with her on that. And I feel very proud of the young woman she's become and she has successfully launched herself in the world and has been excited, fearful at times, naturally, but she's able to move through the fear and do it anyway. And um, she's happy and I'm just so proud of her. So you started at a very young age and that's, that's the key is you don't wait until they're adults to have these conversations. In fact, I remember, I mean, I was sitting in the rocking chair nursing her when she was just a newborn and feeling really sad because I love that stage. I mean, it was so precious and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I realized right then and there, every developmental stage that a baby goes through is is a sense of loss Mm -hmm. and then a new opportunity. And I figured, you know, I really need to get a grip on this sense of loss that I have. Yes. All along the way, because I don't want to, I don't want to guilt her into staying home long after she should be out in the world doing things. And too many parents get their meaning in life by being a parent and then have a hard time letting their kids go. Yes. And, and then kids pick up on that and then they will react to, they'll limit what they reach for because they're afraid to cause you some sort of sense of loss or whatever. They want to take care of you. Of course, of course. And so, you know, your life is your life. Right. You owe nothing to anyone. And, and, and if you choose to be there, 
That's the, that's the key if you choose to be there. That is entirely up to you, but not because you are guilted to death uh, or, or whatever the situation is. Now, uh, on that note, what is your greatest strength as a mother and the most challenging weakness, Karen? Oh, let's see. My strength as a mom, I think, is that I'm there for her no matter what. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm able to set a little bit of a boundary like, okay, I need to take care of myself here. And, and so that is my, my I, I think that's a strength for me. Um, and then my weakness, I think I, I've always wanted to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, and so I'm learning to back off a little bit and and give her the space to do for herself but i think i think that was an ongoing challenge for me to um maybe to want to be included in her life a little bit more than she would like me to be some of the time and to her credit she kind of told me when to back off sometimes (laughs) that's great parenting parenting. (laughs) okay i get it i wasn't getting it but now i get it yeah and you know, being parent, uh, being a parent to an only child, it, it requires special skills as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have more than one child, can you touch on that as well as a marriage and family counselor as well? I can't touch on that from personal experience because honestly, I was so old when I had her. I don't know that I could have handled another child. I, I'm going to stop you right there. You were 41 when you had her. I'd like you to know that there are many people starting their families at that age now. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's the new norm. And, and you know what, you were the right age now (laughs) to have her. Clearly the right age for me at the time. Yeah. 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 And, and so being uh, an only child parent, what were the special skills you felt that you really needed to have or to watch, make sure you didn't, like you said, you know, create a suffocating relationship? Well, I felt it was very important for her to have a sense of family. You know, mm-hmm. Just the three of us, you know? Yes. And so I was extra lenient than a lot of parents, I think, as far as letting her go and do things with her friends who may have siblings who, um, you know, I mean, to this day, we celebrate with one of her longest friends and their family Christmas every year together. Um, We've done that for years. But now that she's living in another state, we haven't been doing that, but I've continued. So I wanted her to have a sense of, since she didn't have siblings, you know, a sense of family and um, her cousins are all much older than her, so they weren't around. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted her to have that experience. So I let, I let her go more than I would like to have let her go. I mean, I would love to have had more of that at our place, but we had a, a nice mix of that, I think. So yeah. that was um, the major only child concern that I had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a number of friends that um, were only the only child, and I, I think the greatest complaint that I ever heard was that the expectations 
from them were far beyond what they ever imagined. Because mm. they were the only one, they had so many things to fulfill as, a, as the only child. So, you know, they had to become the musician, the artist, the studious student, the, you know, it, almost mm. like this perfect child in every which way, because they were the only one who could fill all the shoes. I took a very different approach than a lot of parents do. And it's because I learned about natural talents. A friend of mine named Curtis Adney um, wrote a book about that and he can help you discover what your natural gifts are. Mm. And one of the things that I learned is that kids at a very early age will start to exhibit what their talents are and what their, what their passions are mm. very young. And so um, I, I never said, Oh, you have to take piano. You have to take ballet. You have to do this. You have to, I never did that to her. I was disappointed when she wanted to quit certain things along the way because she was really good at it, but it hasn't hurt her at all. Isn't that great? And she, um, I, I just, in fact, I talked to a lot of parents. I said, one activity, come on. Kids yeah. need downtime. They are a human being, not a human doing. That's right. And so I didn't do that to her. And so she's a successful actor. Tell us a little bit about her. Well, um, right out of college, um, she's, been, she's been acting straight out of college. She did a few um, shows in Utah at the Shakespeare Festivals. And then one day, she, she has great agents. Yeah. And one day she got a call saying that she booked Mean Girls. So mm -hmm. she is actually a standby, which is a great introduction to being on Broadway. Yes. Um, she doesn't have to perform every show, but she's got the, the whole experience and they, um, so she's for two roles. She's standby for Regina George and for Gretchen Wieners in Mean Girls. And it's playing until next August and it's a great show. Wow. I think I'm probably going to go back in April to see it again, but, and she is clearly in her element. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. She's, well, congratulations to both of you, because I know it's not done just by them. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't for the great support from the parents, sometimes children are not able to just get to where they really want to get to in life. So that's awesome. Now, if, um, you know, if, if someone in our audience wants to reach you, if they'd like to contact you, Karen, how would one go about that? Can you let our audience know? Well, at this time, the best way to connect with me would be my email address, which is kfumft at gmail.com. I'm working on my website right now. It will be um, something to do with Center for Health Alliance. Um, hopefully, I will launch it um, early April with my new programs. Wonderful. And we will definitely have you back uh, on the show, um, you know, around that same time so that if uh, someone's missed this particular episode, we'll have Karen back and just give us an update. And, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, you'll be available. I know that your schedule is awfully busy. Um, but uh, just really, really enjoyed having this conversation. I want to thank you, Karen, for sharing your journey with us uh, here 
at um, Uplifting Humans. I'm Solyndran Buller, your host of Uplifting Humans, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Solyndran.